Welcome to the Wealthy Circle Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into this year's finalists and winners from our WealthManagement.com Industry Awards. These interviews cover the challenges, innovations, and trends in the wealth management industry and the individuals working to help advisors better help their clients. Joining us today is Jennifer Gretsch, the Senior Director of Responsible Investing at Nuveen, and James Katz, CEO of Humankind Investments. Welcome to you both. Thanks for having us. Nice to be here. And so today we're going to talk about socially responsible investing in the year 2023. And what we want to know and what we're going to talk about is how sustainable investing has been in the news lately. Are companies really able to quantify uh, what they're doing? Uh, Jen, let's start with you. I think they definitely are. It's certainly been a challenge. Some factors are more difficult to quantify than others. However, as an investor that owns, you know, a lot of different companies, we actually are very focused on the on these companies when we're looking at ESG issues, being able to tie whatever they're doing to their business strategy. Uh, and I think that requires quite a bit of introspection and quite a bit of analysis. And I think the data and technology that we have now allows for a lot of innovation around what you can measure. And it's many things that people previously thought were unmeasurable. Carbon footprint is something that we've seen uh, expand in coverage across the universe of companies that we invest in. Uh, we see increasing numbers of companies publicly disclosing their employee demographics and even their board composition. So there are measurable components of many of these ESG factors. And I think we're just kind of uh, at the, the tip of the iceberg and what we can do potentially. And what do you think, James? Um, I think it's pretty early days when it comes to quantifying every human impact that a company has. The way I see socially responsible investing, um, it's about thinking about not just the investment returns that you get in your portfolio um, from, you know, in terms of what these companies are giving you as an investor, but also how the companies are treating you in other areas of your life as a customer, as an employee, um, as a member of society more broadly. So trying to quantify and value um, what companies are doing for you outside of your portfolio, I think is, is a new, um, is a new, relatively new concept. Um, and, and the quantification of that, I think is in its, in its very early stages. I think I, I agree with, um, with Jennifer, um, one of the places where I think quantification has happened um, um, you know, the earliest is in the carbon footprint space, but I think there's a lot of other issues that impact people where, you know, we're just sort of getting started and putting these things in like terms, I think is, is often difficult. You know, people could raise the question, you know, how many cigarettes smoked equals one ton of carbon emitted in terms of how much damage, you know, these things are doing to, to people. And so my take is that if you can convert all these different impacts on humanity into, you know, dollars and cents in, in economic terms, um, you can actually get a sense of what the relative impact of these different issues are, um, and also how different companies um, ultimately impact humanity. So what are some of these, um, do you have an example of, of some of the things that you were saying, you know, outside of the actual company and the investment? Sure. Um, so a, a good question that, that people would have, say, let's give an example. A company is creating value for its employees by providing them with jobs, right? And paying them well, hopefully treating them fairly, or it could actually be 
taking value away from its employees by engaging in wage theft potentially or discriminating against them. Putting, uh, putting dollar values on those sorts of economic impacts can help us understand how important those issues are in that company relative to, say, the product that it's creating and what good or bad the product is doing. So when the company is selling the product to, to customers, there's some additional value that the customers are getting from that. What, what's the size of that value? How, how important is the product to people in terms of you know, their well-being? So putting dollar values on these different impacts, comparing, okay, what does it mean that a company, let's say, maybe mistreated one employee, right, to, to a certain extent with a certain dollar value of damage associated with that, weighed against the fact that maybe it's, it's a healthcare company that's saving hundreds of thousands of lives every year. Right. So there's so putting putting these things in, in like terms, I think, and, and bringing everything back to, you know, maybe dollars and cents. That's how we do it. Humankind Investments, I think, gives us the possibility to really understand more, um, not just whether or not something good or bad is happening at a company, because there are good and bad things that happen at every company. It's really just a question of how much good and how much bad are, you know is happening and whether the good is outweighing the bad or not. I just wanted to say I really relate to what uh, James was saying, because benchmarking. And I think that's a little bit of what um, he's talking about in terms of if you have a number out in the world on something, some metric, it's very hard to contextualize that without other information from other companies or an understanding. So say if we are talking about climate change and a company releases their carbon footprint, how do we know what that company needs to do to reduce its carbon footprint in alignment with say a 2050 net zero commitment and what would be expected for that industry. So I think we've been encouraged by the number of organizations and standard setters that have been helping us to benchmark some of these metrics and say, and, and provide that kind of context to a company's reporting where it's not just a floating number, but it means something. And then another thing I would add is that particularly with the social metrics that I think James is highlighting, um, we see a lot from companies in terms of inputs rather than just outputs, which we would like to get to the outputs rather than just company has a, an anti-discrimination policy or company does X, Y, Z. That's great. That's a measure of accountability. And we like to see that intentionality but then we also want to know that the company has a plan to measure the success of those inputs. So if you have this policy on anti-discrimination, um, how is that impacted, you know, maybe a lowered number of incidents that are happening? Or if you have a diversity and inclusion initiative, has that improved your retention of diverse talent across various job levels? So I think getting to not just the, the ESG inputs, but starting to bridge to the ESG outputs of some of these efforts is, has been really important for us to communicate to our portfolio companies when we're talking about some of this stuff. Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with that completely. It's sort of you know brass tacks, like, okay, it's very nice that you say that you have policy, but what are you really doing? If it's measurable is what you're... Well, of course, of course, but at least to, to report on the outputs to say, you know, well, we, okay, we had this anti-discrimination policy, and then workplace harassment incidents went from, you know, X to X minus 50% or whatever. Gotcha. I think it's like any other business project. And I think that's why companies shouldn't be thinking of it differently or as, as an aside, but you would never undertake a, a, a business project and not have identified some measures of success 
And so I think the same thing applies to sustainability focused initiatives or any other environmental or socially focused um, efforts. James, do you find that millennials are still having as much interest in SRIs or is like it continuing to lean one way or the other? Um, anecdotally, I think that millennials tend to have uh, more of an interest in socially responsible investing. Um, you know, I, I think I think it comes from having more access to information. I think the internet's been a big part of that. Just being able to identify that companies impact us not just in our investment portfolios as investors, but also in other areas of our life. So naturally, we ask the question: Okay, fine, a company can make me money as an investor, but what else is it doing? And you know, you're constantly reading articles about what companies are doing. You're seeing information online about how companies are impacting the world, um, and you want to know. As, as, as a millennial growing up in this information environment, typically I, you want to know what can I do about this? How can I uh, make it so that these companies maybe treat me better, um, not just as an investor, but also as, as a human being? I do think that interest is sort of endemic to, to our generation. Um, and the question, you know, does it still, is it still interesting to millennials? I think there's probably been some disillusionment as, as concerns about greenwashing have been raised. Um, I think that's only natural um, I personally, you know, sympathize with, um, you know, the concerns, I think, but I would say, I don't think that's a reason to be disheartened. I think it's just a reason to to double down on our efforts to, to get it right, right? And to make sure you choose the right partner when you're trying to figure out how to invest in a socially responsible manner. And Jennifer, what do you think? So we've actually undertaken investor surveys on an annual basis at Nuveen, um, and we publish those results. And, and we do show that you know, younger generations are much more engaged and have much more interest in sustainable or ESG focused or impact focused investment. I do think it's been a very interesting year in terms of some of the divisiveness that's kind of evolved around ESG and, and it's coming from both sides. You have some people who are who have the feeling that this is politically motivated, which I would argue against. And then you have some people who are very concerned about impact washing and greenwashing. And that's those are very valid considerations. I do think overall though, we've seen with the challenging market environment where generally fund flows are have been negative across conventional funds and also across sustainable funds, just because this is the cycle we're in, the sustainable funds have actually had a little bit more staying power um, and have exhibited more resilience based on some of our analysis. And even our own funds we've noticed have been less negative in terms of the outflows. So I, I think the signs are still for growth. And I think, you know, there are reasons to be heartened in terms of the credibility piece. Regulators are starting to scrutinize you know, how ESG products and impact products are, are labeled. And the EU is really stepping up um, in terms of what we are required as an asset manager to disclose in terms of what our funds are saying they do and um, how we're substantiating those claims. So are um, the investments kind of matching what people are looking for? Or is there something missing? James, let's start with you. That's a good question. Um, I think probably one of the biggest issues in the ES in the ESG space today is that there are a set of funds that are designed um, really just to purely profit um, their investors and really just, you know, they just have investors in mind 
And when they say that they're ESG funds, they, they're, what they mean is that they use ESG data to reduce risk to investors. Um, so like an example would be, you know, maybe a company could get a better e-score because it's move, it moves its factory from the coast to up in the hills. So it's less likely to be flooded as a result of, of rising sea levels. But does that mean that they're polluting any less? You know, are they working at all to mitigate climate change? Um, that definition of ESG, when you know thinking just about the the bottom line for investors, is I think what what many investors are not looking for when they're coming to the table trying to invest in an ethical manner um, in a way that's going to try to make a positive impact on the world. So I think um, I, I do think that there there exists this mismatch in some cases between um, you know the goals of the investor and sometimes the, the goals of the fund that they're investing in. I think there's, I would agree with that. I think there's, um, I mean, some of it gets back to the question about measurement. And I think impact has been incredibly difficult to measure and to measure credibly. And then to attribute, so say with a public equity portfolio, uh, that is much more difficult for us to measure the attributable impact versus say a debt investment where the use of proceeds for that financing has a specific impact objective, so we can more directly tie that capital to the actual end impact. And then I would say too, I agree with James about the ways in which ESG has been perceived. I think you have ratings providers that do exactly what, what James was saying, is they measure how a company is managing its own ESG risk. And as an investor like Nuveen, where I think James's uh, company has a very specific mandate, our mandate's a little bit broader. That is a useful lens for us from a, from a risk perspective in particular to, to view companies in this way. How are they managing their ESG risks? But we also recognize that clients increasingly want funds that are generating sustainability outcomes, um, that are generating positive things for people and the planet. And, and I think that's where there's opportunity to increase the rigor and opportunity for more growth and innovation, because we've kind of let ESG be conflated with impact, and, and that needs to stop. So um, I think there are ways we can be more clear with our investors and educate them about the differences with, with some of those different approaches. So Jennifer, how how much of a priority do you think it is for companies and and these funds to make that uh, something that they definitely want to change? And I, I know you've been talking about growth. How important do you think it is for them to continue that? Generally, for Nuveen, I mean, we try to when we uh, interact with portfolio companies, it's really about positioning impact as opportunity. I think there are a lot of really compelling market trends that are driving sustainability as an important value driver, not just for companies, but for society at large. So I think if companies can increasingly lean into that and again, identify in their business models, in their strategies, where there's natural fit, rather than trying to force something I think that's where we see a lot of greenwashing actually is when companies are doing something disingenuously or as kind of a side project for optics rather than thinking critically about how does this fit into my overall business vision 
um, and how it, can I be part of these solutions and how can that um, align the corporate best interest with the best interests of these external stakeholders. And I think that's where you land on authenticity and credibility. Uh, again, rather than viewing it as some kind of marketing exercise or, or PR uh, exercise. Do you find that to be a problem in, auth in authenticity? I do. I think with the level of regulatory scrutiny, with investors becoming more sophisticated and, and really leaning into some of this and, and thinking critically about uh, where greenwashing might be happening and hearing about it, I think it's happening a little bit less, but it's still certainly a problem. And James, what do you think? You can chime in on the whole thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Part. <laughs> yeah, we covered a lot. So I think so at Humankind Investments, the way that we see, um, you know, investor interest is is a bit broader than I think one would traditionally think about it, right? There, we have all kinds of um, rules in this country to make sure that companies act in their investors' best interest, um, to make sure that the, you know, the management of the company isn't taking the company in a, in a direction in a way that's going to hurt um, their investors' interests. But the way we kind of have traditionally defined that is just the investors' interests as investors, only in how the company produces profits. Um, for for those investors. I think um, society would be in a better place if we thought about investor interest a bit more broadly, if we thought about how investors benefit from the actions of companies, not just as investors, but as human beings, because investors are never only investors. You know, we're all we're all people. We all, um, you know, live in society. Many of many of us work for the companies um, that we're investing in. Many of us buy products from the companies that we're investing in. Um, I argue that we'd be better off if companies behaved in a way that was good for their investors, not just as investors, but, but as human beings. Um, and I think that that perspective is, is, I think, kind of the logical conclusion of where all of this is headed, this idea of, of, of responsibility, right? Responsibility to whom? Um, it's, it's responsibility to, to people, to, to humanity. And so the way that, that I see this, this going, you know, I, I think as people get more educated about the issues at play um, and how companies are impacting them in other areas of their lives, I think they will likely um, seek out solutions that 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 meet that need, that 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 try to encourage companies to act in ways that are that are good, not just for um, their bottom line, but also um, in a way that will sort of benefit their investors as as people. I think from a from a financial materiality perspective, one can also make the argument that by treating all the stakeholders well things can kind of come back and there's sort of this idea of what goes what what goes around comes around you can call it karma but um if, if you believe that then you know there's re there really you know may not be much of a conflict in terms of what the companies are doing for the bottom line um and what companies can do for for humanity that's um that that's that's how i see kind of the the future of of, of esg okay Jennifer, um, is there any advice that you have for investors that we haven't discussed in today's podcast? I mean, I think more than anything, um, again, I'm encouraged by the continued interest in this area. I think it it's evolved rapidly in a very short period of time, and I think it will continue to evolve rapidly um, based on the investor interest, based on the regulation that we're seeing, based on the societal imperatives to decarbonize the world and transform our, our energy infrastructure. So I don't think these things 
these big themes are going away. So therefore, you know, to James' point, I don't think the investment interest or the expanded understanding of, of how investment can address some of these issues is going away. And I would say for investors that are very interested in this area, I would take a critical lens. Um, I would maybe be a little bit of a skeptic. I think there are there are good actors out there, and I think there's again still some greenwashing. So, in the same way that you might think about this when you're you're buying a product that says it's eco friendly, well, what does that mean? Can I do a little bit of research um, to determine if that statement is is verifiable or credible? I think you have to do the same thing with your investment products. What is the product saying that it's doing? And is there a way for me to verify you know, that that's the case? So I, I really think that investors can aid the evolution of this space in a really important way by, by being critical and being thoughtful. And James, any um, parting advice from you? Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, I, I did mention, right, I think probably one of the biggest issues out there today are, are funds that say that they're sort of ESG risk driven. Um, and that's true, right? They're ESG risk driven, but the risk is really only to, you know, investors as investors, just in terms of the bottom line of the companies. I think if, um, you know, there are investors who care about making a positive impact and they're coming to the space for ethical reasons, for societal reasons, you know, to, to make sure to take a look, just don't just say, oh, ESG, that's that's fine. Um, you kind of have to, like, to, to, Jen, to Jennifer's point, you have to read a bit further to say, okay, so like, what does that mean here? Are they saying that it's ESG, but only to the extent that investors are profiting? Um, or is it ESG from, in, in, from, from the perspective of trying to make a positive impact, trying to get a sense of, of, of what, what's going on? You know, I think there's some probably some shorthand tricks, right? Try to get a sense of what the mission, not just of the fund is, but also of the investment advisor um, to the fund, right? Is this Is this something that's just like, to Jennifer's point, again, a side project, or is it, you know, the whole purpose of, of, of the um, investment firm? So um, I think that's something that, that investors should think about as, as they're navigating the space. Fascinating. I feel like I've learned so much today. So thank you to Jennifer and James for joining me. And thank you to our audience for listening to this Wealthy Circle podcast. For more Wealthy Circle podcasts, visit WMTV on wealthmanagement.com. This content has been made for information and educational purposes only. The views and opinions represent the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of wealthmanagement.com.